I just want to say how grateful, grateful, grateful that I am to be with you. And uh, it's been a long time since I've been back, and I remember sitting in, uh, I was telling Ash that typically uh, uh, Brother Harry Valakut was one of my teachers. He doesn't remember that, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing, because uh, usually my reputation isn't, isn't that shining when I leave somewhere. However, um, I used to sit second row over here, and had I known what God was going to do with me and my family and my life uh, 20 years ago when I sat in this very chapel, I would have said that you're a liar. Um, not to God, but I would have certainly said it to anybody else that spoke that over my life. And I would have typically said that you probably need rehab because I did not at all see what God had in store. And I trust that in the very same vein, when you sit here this day and the season of life that you're in and where you currently find yourself, it may be very hard for you to understand where it is that the Lord is leading you. You may have dreams and you may have visions. Nevertheless, I want to just speak this over you, that when the Word tells us that God will do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything we could ask, think, or even imagine, Really, that proclamation is for yous and me's. Do you understand that? that? That's to inspire us, and that's to stand in awe of God, and that's to walk in a reverent fear of God, and that's to sort of, that's to, to walk in a greater humility and a greater, you know, level of, 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 of childlike faith. And for the next few moments, I just want to speak a very, hear me on this, very simple word over you. And I want to encourage you in a very simple understanding that isn't going to be needed once. I'm, 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 I'm now 15 years in the ministry. I need this repeatedly. So I want to share with you what so often I share with me. And by way of doing that, first I want to pray, and then we'll get right to work. You excited? Okay. All right. All I need is two. Great. Heavenly Father, we love you so very much. Father, we are so grateful grateful, and we don't take it for granted, Father, that you, by the work of your Holy Spirit, came and found us many times, Father, when we weren't even looking for you. That, Father, you sought us, and you found us, and then you redeemed us, and you forgave us, and then you commissioned us, Father, to go and be the salt and the light of the world. What an incredible privilege it is, Father, to be one of your sons or your daughters. And so, Lord, we see that the simple fact that we sit in this room today is a demonstration of your very handiwork. Thank you. Thank you, Father. And I pray that with a posture, Father, open to your word as we peer into the pages of Scripture, you would speak to us, you would meet us wherever it is that we need it, Father, that you would encourage us, cause us to love Jesus more. Father, soften our hearts and show us great and mighty things that we do not know. And we will be eternally grateful for it. It's in the matchless name of Jesus, I pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I want to draw your attention for a moment to a place that's very iconic. Many of you may have been there. Many of you certainly have heard about there. And that is a place called Death Valley in a portion of Nevada. The interesting part about Death Valley is the aggregate culture therein is uh, rendered by and large useless be the fact that the climate is so dry, the heat is so persistent that it almost makes anything 
uninhabitable to live there, with the exception of a few spare things that ultimately um, uh, are recognized in one regard, but by and large, it makes that landscape in that portion of our country, by and large, uninhabitable and useless. Nevertheless, in 2005, in March therein, something phenomenal took place wherein there was almost, if you will, a perfect storm that transpired with uh, sort of some climate coalescing, if you will, whereas for three hours, three hours, arguably three and a half hours, these rain clouds descended right over Death Valley and then poured down for the portion of those 180 minutes, if you will. How, how, right? 180 minutes. There we go. Amen. Um, I graduated Elam. All right. I know what I'm talking about. And so that rain, and then something unexpected took place. That after that rain fell in the days and the weeks that, that, that ensued after, there was something that transpired what was called the Nevada Superbloom, where the whole valley produced these wildflowers. So arguably, aggregate and agriculturalists looked into it only to determine the reason that that super bloom took place in a place that was by and large desolate, uninhabitable, dry, hot, the whole nine yards is because underneath the surface, unbeknownst to them, was all these seeds. And in all those seeds, naturally what they needed was moisture. What they did not know would transpire was what now has been called this marvelous super bloom. The seeds were there. They were just waiting for the rain the whole time. And since then, there's been a couple times throughout 2005 to present where the same thing has transpired. You might know where I'm going with this. That ultimately, that ground was prepared to produce a super bloom. But what it needed was rain. And in the very same way, I just want to say to you that maybe you don't even see it. Maybe you can't recognize it. But God, in his infinite wisdom, in his sovereignty, and in his majesty, created you and designed you and has already placed seed within you. You didn't have anything to do with that. Truth be told, you can't manufacture it. You can't contrive it, neither can you manipulate it. But God, according to Ephesians 4, where it says that he has chosen us, that he has called us, that he has now commissioned us, he commissions us according to the seed that he's already placed within us. This is why Psalm 139 says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. The psalmist says, I really don't even get it. I can't even really fathom it. But God, in his infinite sovereignty, in his grandeur, and in his majesty, created you, form-fits you, custom-built you, and then placed seed within you. Why? Why? Ultimately, for his renown, for his glory, and a display of his majesty. He created you and me with seed ultimately to fulfill his perfect purpose over your life, his perfect plan. When I sat there 20 years ago in that second row, had no idea. I was just grateful. Hear me. I was grateful that God chose me. He found me when I wasn't even looking for him. 
Truth be told, I was raised in a gospel-centered home. Oh my gosh, I had what arguably was a picture-perfect environment. A father that was a pastor, a mother that loved Jesus, a marriage that was model-esque and exemplary. I had younger brothers, I had an older sister, I had an older brother, and I decided to go by way of full-on rebellion. To the point, to the point that I became a full-on heroin addict, strung out, watched my roommate pass away from an overdose, moved out of my house as soon as I graduated high school, graduated high school by the skin on my teeth and because I believe my father paid somebody to give me a diploma. I got through and then wanted nothing to do with God. I remember telling my father, do not share the gospel with me anymore. Don't even talk to me about Jesus anymore. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I'm done with it. I don't buy it. I'm not convinced of it. I want to do me. And, and me, I did. All the way to it brought me to the precipice of death, wherein I would find myself in, for 13 months in a rehab program. 13 months of where I was inundated and cultivated in the gospel to the point that I had a radical, life-altering experience with Jesus one night of which I have never, ever, ever been the same. It was from that rehab, I graduated that rehab, amen, I graduated that rehab in June of, 2000, of 1996, and that September, I was here in Elam. I mean, green, dumb, on fire, I would believe anything. I was willing to go anywhere. It was here. I had no idea what God wanted to do with me. I just sat here just like a sponge. Just tell me. And meanwhile, I had been raised in the church. It's not like, 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 like I haven't, didn't hear so many of the messages that were preached here. It, was, it wasn't like I was foreign to the scriptures. But yet, that season of my life, it was all seemingly brand spanking new. I mean, like I would read scripture and the words would jump off the page. I would hear sermons and they would wreck me to my soul. And lo and behold, what was sitting in that second row in the very same fashion that you sit here today was God was reigning on that seed. God was reigning on that seed, and I felt like a dry and weary land, as maybe some of you feel today, like you're in your own death valley. I just want to share with you and say to you and proclaim over you, God created you with seed. I want to read you this portion of scripture found in Genesis chapter 17. You've heard it, you've read it, and maybe you think you understand it. Nevertheless, I want to remind you of it. This is God speaking to the father of many nations. At one point, his name was Abram. God would change his name to Abraham. He had no idea what was in him. Nevertheless, God comes to him and says this. As for me, he says, this is my covenant with you, Abram. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. Don't miss that. God said to him, I made you a father of many nations. Now, meanwhile, you know Abram, I mean, seasoned in his years. 
I mean almost comedic when God came to him and told him that you're going to be the father of many nations. From you are going to come a lineage of whereas you can't even number them. Can't even fathom what I'm going to do through your life, Abram. Can't even fathom what I'm going to bring from your line. Can't even, they're more numerous than the stars. I made you, a.k.a. I have, I created you from Jump Street with the seed. And even though you can't see it, and even though it sounds way too far as the outsy for you, I have built you, and I have created you, and form fits you with the seed that's within you to bring my perfect purpose through you. Now, here's the deal. When it comes to that, when it comes to you and me, that is God's business. Your president of whom I love and respect and regard and have gleaned so much from. We sat over dinner last night and we talked about that what's taking place in our nation right now is, is that we are really realizing once again with a childlike awe that God will do what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, in the way he wants, and it is solely up to him. You can try to fast track it. You can try to manufacture it. You can try to contrive it. You're going to fall flat on your face. God is God and there is no other. And so when God wants to bring to fruition his perfect purpose, he's going to do it according to his timeline and his fashion in the way that only he gets the glory. And so when it comes to that seed coming forth, this is why we're seeing sort of this outbreak of revival that I feel like we are ready for here at Elam Bible Institute and that we're on the precipice of and that we're feeling sort of the veins of. This is why it's taking place in Asbury. This is why it's taking place in Lee College. This is why it's taking place in churches. This is why it's taking place in midweek services. Why? Because God is sovereign over the fruition of his seed. Nevertheless, nevertheless, you and I do have a responsibility. It's pretty incredible that God will partner with his children, his sons and daughters, and there is a responsibility on our part when we partner with him. You ask, okay, what is our responsibility that the the, the perfect purpose and the plan of God would come to fruition in your life? That you and I, are responsible to cultivate the soil in which the seed is planted. And you can't get away with it. You can't circumvent it. And actually, this is pretty amazing, but you can stifle it. You can stifle it. So when Scripture tells us, quench not the Spirit, when Scripture reminds us not to grieve the Spirit, ultimately, that is a matter of soil. That is a matter of the posture of your and my lives that ultimately bring to fruition that seed. You're asking, what is the soil? The soil is your heart. The soil is your heart. When it comes to Scripture, everything between the leather, know this. There is only one other word that's used more times than heart in all the Bible. Heart is used repetitively and redundantly at times and consistently, all to make God's proclamation crystal clear to you and me. There is an important part that we play when it comes to our heart. The only other words that are used more common than the heart is the names of the Lord. 
But when it comes to Scripture, heart is constantly, poignantly focused upon. Why? Because from your heart determines the soil in which he plants his seed. So your heart's a big deal. What you do with your heart today, what you do with your heart this afternoon, what you do with your heart this mo- tomorrow, ultimately either determines, is your heart fertile for the seed that God wants to bring to fruition, or are you stifling what God wants to bring to fruition? This is why the Proverbs say, to guard your heart with all diligence. That means emphatically, passionately, consistently, I mean specifically watching your heart. Guard it with all diligence. Why? Because from it flow all issues of life. Your heart's a big deal. And how you steward it ultimately has a lot to do with how that seed comes to fruition. I want to just give you, just for a moment, I want to give you the posture of heart of that soil that God is looking for. First and foremost, when it comes to this, understand this. Understand this when it comes to heart. Really, when it comes to heart, God has placed within us the very things that he wants to bring to fruition in us. So when he says, be holy, for I am holy, he's placed the seed in you to be holy. That's not like, oh, you know, that's, that, that's too big. Uh-uh, uh-uh. God doesn't call you to what he hasn't prepared you for. You feel me? So when God calls you and me to be the salt and light of the world, he's created the seed in us to actually be the light of the world, the city on the hill whose light cannot be hidden. He's created you and form fits you to be the salt that actually wets the palates of those that are searching for Jesus. He speaks over you what he knows is in you. When it comes to David, I love this about David. I love this. There are so many parallels that we can glean from the life of David. He called David to be the greatest king that would ever rule over Israel. Even to present day. You go to Israel this day, they still regard David about his Davidic line and what David brought and the way that he ruled and the way that he feared God and the way that he was the apple of God's eye. In David, he called to be the greatest king that would ever rule over Israel. Yet even his own father, Jesse, didn't see it. He didn't see the seed. This is why the prophet Samuel came into Jesse's home and said, from your line, therein lies the greatest king that will ever rule over Israel. Where is he? And, and, and Jesse thought, oh, I know where he is. He's got to be one of my firstborn sons. I mean, their stature, they're good looking, they're hot, they're yoked up, they're built. He paraded all of his sons in front of Samuel, of which Samuel said, none of them are it. Certainly got to have another one. And he said, oh, I do, I do. He's just a shepherd boy, though. He's out in the field tending the sheep. Samuel said, go get him. And here comes David. Scripture says that he was bright-eyed and ruddy. I love that. Probably had like a lion laid over his shoulder, you know, just walking in, didn't even know that he didn't know, you know, come walking in, beautiful, young, handsome. And Samuel looked right at him and said, therein is the future king that will take over the throne from Saul. He saw the seed. He saw the seed. This is why Gideon, he didn't see it. This is why he's lurking in the shadows, sort of in a wine press, trying to sort of, you know, work his week. God came to him and said, you are a mighty warrior. He didn't see it. God saw it. So God called what he knew he created. In the same way, heart is so important. What is the posture of heart? Number one, if you're taking notes, 
I trust we're note takers here, yeah? Or you just remember. I get it. I get it. You're sharp, like a steel trap up there. I get it. Number one, when it comes to the posture of your heart, God's looking for a humble heart. A humble heart. A heart that's very keen to your own pride and your own ego. A humble, soft, fertile heart that rightfully fears the Lord and walks humbly before him. This is why the enemy of your soul is so persistent in trying to get you arrogant and proud. Why? Because it stifles the seed. This is why you got to watch the subtleties of pride. Certainly in Bible college, the subtleties of pride that come by way of impatience. Oh, gosh. What you don't know is that that tenacity in you that's a beautiful thing and that willingness to be audacious in your faith is a beautiful thing, but it can cause you to be impatient to the point that you think you deserve something before it's time. The subtlety of entitlement, thinking that, you've owed, that you're owed something because you've earned something. It's a subtlety of pride. Sitting around in circles and criticizing people, even in the Christian faith that might not line up with your theology or your perspective, that's a subtlety of pride. Being cynical, cynical because people have made claims or proclamations or you've heard things and so you grow this cynicism when you, hear me, hear me, that's pride. And all of that will abort a humble heart, sitting around and naysaying and growing in cynicism and growing in criticism. This is why Scripture says that God, Jesus, that James, the brother of Jesus, says God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Listen to me. You know another terrible means and subtlety of, of, of pride is comparison of you comparing your calling to someone else's calling or your gift set to somebody else's gift set or your abilities to somebody else's, hear me. Those are all subtleties of pride that will stifle your seed. God has created you, called you, and loves you, but the enemy wants to foster pride within you. Case in point, I remember I left here after I had spent three years and, and, and I went home and my father, he, he, was, he was the pastor of Lighthouse Church. It was a little church of what, 60 people. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. It was communal. Everybody knew everybody. Everybody knew everybody's business. Probably too much of everybody's business. Nevertheless, I mean, it was, it was right. It was family. But yet I left here and I thought, you know what? I, I, I can do better than my dad. I can do better. I, can, I think I can preach better. I think that I can organize better. I think I can envisioneer better. I, I, thought, I thought I could. And for reasons that I, 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 I know now that I didn't know then, God kept me just, just in the waiting. He just, I, I left here and it wasn't for 10 years, nine, year, nine and a half years that I went into ministry. 
And I remember arguing with my father, let me take over, and hey, Dad, time to pass the baton, and hey, Dad, it's time that you give me a shot to step up. And for reasons he couldn't even articulate, he would say, Sammy, it's not your time yet. And it wasn't because he was proud. It wasn't because he was arrogant. It was simply because he hadn't been given the release of the Lord. Let me tell you why. Because I was so full of pride. I was so full of pride. And so the longer I cultivated pride, the more the, 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 more the Lord opposed me. It wasn't until a Sunday on my way home from church that I was driving home. I had started a little company. It was going great. And I was sitting in the car shotgun. My wife was driving. I still don't understand why I let her drive. Nevertheless, maybe it was so that I could contemplate and think. And I said aloud, something critical of my father. I'll never forget this moment as long as I live. And the minute the words left my tongue, I saw, it was like the Lord pulled back a veil, and I saw how wicked and dark my heart was. It was like he let me get full glance of how arrogant and egotistical I was to the point that I started crying. This took place at around one o'clock in the afternoon. I couldn't stop crying until five o'clock that evening. He broke me, broke me wide open with a glimpse of how arrogant my heart was. From that day forward, by God's grace and his grace alone, I walked with a limp. I mean, I walked with the humility because of God's providential, incredibly gracious work in my life that from that day is where my ministry began. Why? Because God will not bring to fruition what is not planted in a humble heart. And if he does, it's only a matter of time until it comes to a train wreck. You see it all the time with pastors and leaders and preachers and the like that start to drink their own Kool-Aid. Why? Because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So when it comes to the, the, the soil of your life, God's looking for a humble heart. Second thing is that God's looking for an open heart. A heart that's willing to say, and this is what I love about this community, this family, and you guys. It's a heart that says, Lord, do whatever, however you want. My life is the vessel and the tool in your hand. Rather than getting, Lord, you got to do it this way, or Lord, it's got to look like this, or Lord, here's my giftings, or Lord, this is what I know I'm called to, and on and on and on. If you become overtly convinced of what you think God's plan is for your life, many times you can miss his real plan for your life. So despite what your brothers and sisters might say, some of it might be confirmation, and some of it might be affirmation, but an open heart allows the Lord to do whatever he wants to do. This is why Isaiah says this. It says, for my thoughts, saith the Lord, are not your thoughts, nor are my ways, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. Notice this. Many times we hear that text as a proclamation of how, how much the disparity is between God, God, his thoughts, his plans, his ways, than our ways. And truth be told, it is. 
It is a proclamation of you and I aren't even on the same wavelength. You, you and I don't share the same perspective. My peer view compared to your peer view are dimensions apart. However, it's not just a proclamation. It's also an invitation that God says, listen, I want you to open up to what you do not see or you cannot understand. And I want you to allow me to have my way in your life. How do I know that? Because if you go to the verse right prior to that, this is what the Lord says. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. And then he goes on to say, for my ways are higher than your ways. A.K.A., let go of what you think you see and open your heart to me to what you cannot. And let me have your, my way in your life in a way that many times doesn't even make sense so that my kingdom come and my will be done. I just read last night when I was getting in the bed, Pat, uh, Brother Paul Johansson's book, where he said, you cannot do the impossible if you do not see the invisible. <laughs> I love that. I love that he lived that, that he was always looking for, Lord, show me what I cannot see. I want to be open to it. I don't want to have all my, all my boundaries and this is what I, I got to do. Now hear me, you can't do everything. I don't care what your mom told you. I don't care what your parents spoke over you like, hey, you be whatever you want to be. No, you can't. No, you cannot. How do you know that? How do I know that? You've watched The Voice before, haven't you? <laughs> you've, you? You've watched shows before where you were like, how come nobody told that cat? Yo, you can't even make a joyful noise under the Lord. I mean, you, you can't sing for, for, and yet they're out there just as confident thinking, oh, I'm going to let her rip. Somebody should have cut them off in the parking lot and said, brother, you, you, it's, it's hurtful to listen to you. You need to try another sphere. There are some things you can have all the aspirations in the world, yet it's not in the cards for you. And then there's things that you didn't think were in the cards for you that God has in store for you. It's predicated on the fertileness of an open heart. It's a humble heart, it's an open heart. And lastly, hear me on this, that I believe more now than ever, God is looking for a grateful heart. Hear me on this team, listen to me. This is a passion point that runs real deep. Because we have lost our healthy fear of the Lord and we've lost our awe of the Lord, We've lost our gratefulness for the Lord. And when it comes down to what the Lord is looking for most out of his sons and daughters, yes, it is humility. And yes, it is openness. But I believe more than anything, he's looking for gratitude. He's looking for us with a childlike faith to say, no matter what, I'm so grateful. See, we live in a culture of entitlement right now. And it's a culture of cynicism. That if you want it, then people want to tell you you deserve it. And even when you don't work for it, people want to tell you you're owed it. 
And even when you haven't even done enough to even labor for any length of time, people tell you, you should go get it anyway. We live and have been cultivated in a mentality of entitlement. It's antithetical to the message of Jesus. This is why Jesus, when he walked into that township and healed those 10 lepers and the one came back, he said to the one, were there not nine others and only you came back to worship me? Where are the other nine? Know this, it was expected from Jesus that he be worshiped in light of the miracle. It is expected from God that you and I be sons and daughters that have an overflowing grateful heart. It is expected from the God on high of whom the universe can't even capture his grandeur that we stand in awe and gratefulness for who he is and what he's done in our life. I want to tell you this. There is no ministry or fruition of call where there is no gratitude. Why? Because you'll never be content with what the Lord does. You'll never be grateful for the simple fact that he used me and you as broken vessels. And so it'll only be a matter of time until you pour out toxicity from a poisonous heart. Why? Scripture says this, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, a.k.a. gratitude, humility, openness. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Know this, gratitude is never invisible and it's never silent. It can't be. So if you sit there today and you're like, you can't remember the last time that you've extolled the name of the Lord. You've told your classmates, brothers and sisters how grateful you are. You've recounted your blessings and testified over them. But yet you want to say to me, no, I'm grateful, but I just don't talk about it a lot. And I don't really testify of it a lot. And I don't show it a lot. I'm going to argue with you. Hear me. I'm going to tell you this because I love you. You're not grateful. You're not grateful because gratitude is never invisible and it's never silent. So as we close, I want you to know something. I want you to know something. If you're wondering, where is the end zone? What's the end zone in my life that God wants to bring me to? I want you to know this, that your ministry and your call is secondary to this. That there is an end zone. If you're wondering, what's the Lord cultivating? What's he bringing me to? What's he have in store for me? Paul tells the church at Thessalonica what it is. And he says to them in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16, he says this. Rejoice. I'm going to give it to you in the King Jimmy version. Rejoice evermore. Means don't stop rejoicing. Pray without ceasing. And in all things, all things, I love the emphatic nature of all of Paul's language. Rejoice evermore means don't stop. Pray without ceasing means don't stop. And in all things, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. 
If you're wondering, what's his will for my life as I sit here at Elam Bible Institute in love with the Lord, following him, open to what his plan is? Let me tell you what it is. It's that you would become a person that rejoices all the time, even to the point where you get on people's nerves. You're like, shut up. Why are you always so happy? Why are you always rejoicing? Why are you extolling the Lord? Why are you testifying of his goodness? Why are you doing that? Why? Because I can't stop, won't stop because of what he's done for me. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing means don't stop talking to him. He just, as my brother said earlier, he just wants to be close with you. And he wants to hear you. And in all things, whether you're walking through hell or you're on the mountaintop, whether it's going great in your favor or, man, it feels like everything's spinning out of control, rejoice evermore. Pray without seeking. In all things, give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Verse 19, and quench not the spirit. So many times in charismatic circles, what we'll say is we quench the spirit by over-organizing a church service. We'll quench the Spirit by, by, by limiting our worship time. We'll quench the Spirit by being too attractional in method. Many times we, we got all of our measurements and metrics for how we think we quench the Spirit. You want to know how you quench the Spirit? Stop rejoicing. Stop praying. And stop being grateful. A heart that's humble a heart that's open and a heart that's grateful is primed for revival. And so when it comes to the call on your life, it's to walk in humility. It's to be open to the Spirit's leading. And it's to be overflowing in gratitude. And there is no telling what God will do with the men and women that sit in this room. Amen? Heavenly Father, we love you. We have so many reasons to walk Humbly before you, Lord. Forgive us, God. Forgive me for my haughtiness. Forgive me for my foolishness at times, Lord. God, forgive us for making plans, leaving you out of the equation. Thinking this is what I want. Not listening to what you want. And forgive us, Father for not being more grateful, for walking around like petulant children that feel entitled. Lord, may it be of this community and these young leaders, Lord, that you would cultivate a pure, fertile soil so that your super bloom could come to fruition and you could raise up leaders for the revival that you're ushering in. We are desperately, desperately in need of you, Lord. And we know that only you can bring the rain. May it fall on good hearts, Lord, for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen.